You're listening to another episode of the Zag. Excited to be joined by 2018 fellow, a recent alum, and the 2019 NLC Institute co-director, Maria Morrison Copalillo is here. Excited to find out what's going on in her life and excited to maybe talk a little bit about some of her interests, including improv comedy. Let's get to it. All right, Maria, we were hanging out a little bit before we started recording, talking about improv. So tell folks a little bit about your your journey to improv and and are you going to quit your job and become a professional improv comedian? Yeah. Hey, everybody. Um, So my my improv journey started years back in New Orleans when I went to see an improv show and it was absolutely terrible and I hated it. And I was like, who would ever want to do this? This was terrible hour of my life that I'll never get back. Uh, but then years went by, moved out to LA, wanted to do something performing arts wise. And I just signed up on a whim and started taking classes at IO West, a theater in Hollywood that is now closed, RIP IO. Uh, started taking classes there, really liked it. It was really different than the terrible show that I'd seen like four years ago. Um, made some friends that are really awesome people and I've just kind of stuck with it. So I've been doing it for a year and like three months now, maybe. Okay. Yeah. To, to be clear, this is not your full-time job. This is not paying the bills. I don't think it pays the bills for anyone. And it'd probably be true. Yeah. Um, but it, it, you probably had some chops coming in because you used to be a classroom teacher Yes. and teacher skills often require a lot of improv skills. What, what, yes. age, what age did you teach again? I taught middle school. I taught sixth grade for four years and eighth grade for one year. Okay. And then of the teacher skills that you learn, which ones have been most applicable to improv? Um, Not thinking and just reacting. Okay. Because I think when you're a teacher, there's your brain is like functioning. There's so many things happening at once. You're trying to teach a lesson, manage a class, deal with this kid who broke their pencil and now they're trying to put half their pencil like – inside of the, I don't know what, but there's so many things happening at once and it's similar to improv. So I find that I really enjoyed that about teaching and I get a similar sense of fulfillment when I'm doing improv because you have to be so on point all the time. And were you always somebody who liked being in front of an audience or did the teaching part where you're essentially in front of 25 to 35 people every day, did that give you a comfort level with being in front of an audience that made improv easier? Um, my parents did a lot of community theater growing up and they, uh, gently forced me to be in a lot of plays as a child. Uh, <laughs> but then I, I really liked it. So I was okay with performing. Um, but then I think teaching really breaks your nerves about that because you do just get used to being in front of a crowd of people who may or may not want to be there similar to an improv audience. So I think in that sense, it was really helpful. Nice. And then in terms of your real job now, so you work for a cool place called Power My Learning. Yeah. What does Power My Learning do exactly? So we're a nonprofit. Uh, We work to support a triangle of learning relationships between teachers, students, and families. So we do educator coaching, which is what I do, which is one-on-one coaching for teachers. Um, We do workshops for teachers. And we also do bilingual family workshops in Spanish and English for families on topics like using the internet as a learning tool. Um, like college and high school options. And we do that at schools all around Los Angeles. We're also in San Francisco, New York, and Atlanta. And then what trends do you see when you're training teachers on the things you train them on in terms of 
skill gaps they have or maybe strengths they already have like oh wow you actually know a lot about this let's even up your your game even more what kind of things do you see i think something i've noticed that's changed over the last few years is teachers now are way more comfortable with technology um, and a huge part of that has been a push from the students because students are so comfortable with technology um, that they really force the teachers to be more on board so when i started here for three years ago uh it was much more getting teachers initially over that bump of like using Chromebooks or using iPads in their classrooms. And now I find that people are much more willing to just jump in and, and do that. And that's not as big of a, like a, a block for them. One of the things I've seen that's been interesting too is, and I was a teacher many more years ago than you were. So there was, we had computers, we had a whiteboard, so it wasn't the stone age, but there definitely wasn't the onslaught of, people trying to sell you apps or people trying to sell yeah. you this, this tech device or this, this curriculum piece that's embedded in your Google browser that will solve all your woes when it comes to student achievement or student yes. learning. Like how do you yourself like sift through all the people trying to fire the latest, greatest thing at you? And how do you advise teachers on how to do the same thing? Um, I think what I, my mindset and what I tell teachers is that technology is not a replacement for a good teacher. It's a tool that a strong teacher can have in their tool belt. Um, as with every program, it's a tool that teachers can have in their tool belt. And some are good in some instances and are weak in other instances. And, and so a lot of it is helping teachers to use that lens when they look at programs and administrators as well, because a lot of the purchasing decisions come from administrators and not from teachers. And where do you see, like, what's the next big kind of wave or movement in education technology, either hardware or software? Um, there's a lot of cool stuff going on right now with VR and hmm. AR, which blows my mind. I don't know if it's just the, like, I'm I'm too old that I'll never see AR as being, like, something that's normal. Mm-hmm. It still is fascinating to me. So there's these things called merge cubes. Have you heard of merge cubes? No, how does it play out in a classroom? It's like, um, so it's just like a, a cube. And uh, you design an AR thing. So, like, maybe you're doing a project on the solar system. So you design an AR model of the solar system. And then when you hold your phone, like Pokemon Go, where you hold up your phone and then you look at this cube you're holding in your hand, instead of holding the cube in your hand, you're holding the solar system. And you can spin it around and see how the planets, Hmm. uh, like, are in relation to each other. So there's a... a program that helps you design the solar system yeah, correctly yeah. in the first place. So yeah. you don't have There's like a like Mars in the middle of the solar system. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But, or like students can make like a model of the human heart, like a 3d mm-hmm. model of the human heart. And so then you hold this cube in your hand that looks like you're holding hmm. heart and like things are labeled on it. That seems legit. It's really cool. And then, you know, taking an example like that. So then where are kids getting taught how to, make the technology that makes those cubes possible like who's teaching those skills and like the coding the back yeah, end like stuff ha- yeah um some schools are doing they they have coding programs and coding classes um there's actually a wide variety of them that are available for free or for a low cost um a lot of nonprofits too there's a lot of nonprofits that do coding um which is really cool so if you could go back to middle school and teach any class that you could design and create on your own, what mm-hmm. do you feel like you would make? Any class at all? Yeah, so you make the syllabus, you design all the standards that you want. What would you want to go back and do, seeing all the things you've seen? 
yeah, being out yeah. of the classroom all these years. Uh, do, would I have to have the skills to do this? Or you'd have to be I an effective instructor at it. Yeah, you can't just just yeah. go back and do it. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like designing stuff like like AR would be really cool. I don't have the skills to do that. Like co-teacher. So yeah, I would need a co-teacher <laughs> or I would need to outsource. Um, but I really liked, I coached a teacher a couple years ago that taught a class called art and literacy. Mm. Um, and that was really, really cool. And like, it was middle school level and the kids were looking at pieces of fine art. There was this whole curriculum. Um, and the basis of it was empathy. So in order to be able to relate to art, you need to be able to empathize with the art and the artist and put yourself in their shoes. And that was the basis for the curriculum. And I think it'd be really cool to do like uh, like art and math or even art and literacy would be really cool. Yeah, I like it. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the location where we're recording this podcast. I have some questions. Ooh. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Zag. We'll be right back. All right, we're huddled in a side room here at Cross Campus in downtown LA. We've had a few folks on who've been working in, in these types of Cross Campus we work spaces. What's your What's your take on being here now? A couple of years. Um, it's millennial millennial <laughs> paradise because well, there's free coffee, there's free tea, uh, there's snacks, there's um, free beer also. Uh, there's also kombucha that you may purchase, but it is on draft and also mm. cold brew hmm. that you can purchase on draft. And there's like couches and there's showers here and there's a med quote meditation room, AKA you go take naps. Okay. In that works yeah. too. People could call it a nap room. I think it was got the same traction. We call it a nap room. Yeah. So then how often do you see people cycling in and out or is it the same faces every month? Um, there's, there's a good contingent of people that are like, they've been here for a while. They're staying here for a while, but there is a lot of fresh faces. Um, a lot of the offices as they grow, they'll move to Mm. another space just because they've outgrown the space here. So it's kind of a a startup culture in that sense. There's like a lot of smaller companies, Mm -hmm. um, which is pretty cool. And there's some nonprofits, some for-profits. It's a good mix. And do you feel like these types of working spaces are the wave of the future as people are telling them to be or they're a passing fad? How would you describe it? I think they're the wave of the future. I don't know how I feel about those ones where they like you're meant to sleep there and live there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not ready to cross that bridge yet. But uh, yeah, I think it's cool. It's, It's a fun atmosphere and it really, you interact with a lot of people and, um, it's, it just like reminds me of being in college in a good way hmm. of like people are here and we're working and now let's drink some kombucha. And because there's so many different companies now providing these types of spaces, mm-hmm. I, you know, think of WeWork, think of this space. Um, you know, we do NLC interviews at Indie Desk, which yeah. is a little bit uh, up the street here. When someone is considering if they want to jump in in this kind of work world, what things would you advise them to, to be on the lookout for? I would advise you to do the free month membership <laughs> at Cross Campus and give my name as your referral. There you go. And then yeah. once that month is over, what would you want people to consider? Um, I think consider like, what, do you mind not having an office space or are you willing to pay the extra money for an office space? Because mm-hmm. there is the rent for just a co-working, like to access the co-working space and the amenities, but it's extra to have your own office. 
Um, a plus is that you don't pay for the building or utilities. So like we have Wi-Fi and printing access and that's all included okay. in the rent that we pay. So if the printer breaks, it's not our responsibility yeah, to fix that makes it. Sense. Um, so that's cool. Yeah. And and then do you have access to other cross, are there other cross campuses around are, the city or yeah. all the downtown? There's one in Pasadena, one in Santa Monica, and a new one just opened up in El Segundo. And then yeah, I guess the last thing, when you think about long-term, uh, like staying here with Power My Learning, like, are there ways you could grow and still stay here? Like, can you rent a uh, conference room space for mm-hmm. a day? Like how do, how do those things work? Cause if, yeah, if you do really like the space, like I just mentioned, you get bigger, you want to look for something more traditional. Um, how do you balance like some of the size things, but if you still want to keep this, this type of environment, some, some companies will rent like two offices and they'll just split oh, okay. into two offices. Yeah. What we do is we have an office, but it doesn't seat enough people. So a lot of our employees just work down here on the oh, co-working right. floor, yeah. um, which Personally, I like better because it's really bright and I think it's a good work environment. Um, and yeah, you can like rent conference rooms and for a certain number of credits that come with hmm. your membership or you can just pay a discounted rate yeah. to rent them. Yeah. So if we do like a bigger meeting or we have a retreat or something, we'll just rent out one of the bigger rooms. Nice. But yeah, it's cool. The staff here are super nice too. Okay. And last thing on Power My Learning, you guys have an event coming up. I want to do a quick plug. How can yeah. people support your awesome work? Yeah, we have an event coming up. It's actually our 10-year anniversary oh, cool. of being in Los Angeles. Um, it is Thursday, October 18th. Um, and tickets are, ooh, I forget if they're 20 or 25, but they include food and beer and wine. Nice. And it'll be cool. We have a program. Um, it'll be a good chance to mingle, and you're supporting an awesome organization. Cool. So we'll yeah. put that up in the description for this episode. So definitely check that out if you're free on the 18th of October. And if you also have some free time, make sure to listen to the mini pod that Marie and I just posted as it relates to NLC Institute applications, which are due October 1st, noon Pacific. So if you haven't started, start. If you have started, finish. Can't wait to see your materials come through. And while you're finishing that app, make sure to listen to all past episodes of the Zag. There's almost 100 now. You can find them on your... Google's and your Apple's and your Spotify's, your Stitcher's, your SoundClouds, they're just about everywhere. So make sure to check those out. Get those apps in. Get those apps in. Thanks for listening to The Zag. Until next time, we'll see you soon.